got capped and the name that makes it happen No further introduction to the man that's worth tracking City's clapping for his relentless backing A vastie against the former team that just went packing While they're slacking and other hosts are lacking He tells it like it is on issues that nobody's tackling While he's racking, the ones who keep on grappling The listeners, some followers who get it, keep on stacking Great friend and the type to set a trend Precedent to see where haters with the men, there's no pretend 17 years, he along with Pierce Entertaining Southern Cali back by popular demand Intense for the listeners to resonate To the hottest topics of the day, check the resume While some local leaders seem to lack the unity My man uses his voice to do what's best for the community Westwood one, catch him on the sidelines Reporting live what we later see in highlights No holds barred, just like on his timeline Sun filter podcast, no need to follow guidelines Meet any criteria, dropping bombs like Syria Touching down, all around, connected like Expedia Coming to your speakers live from the city of Bestie Welcome to the Scott Kaplan Media Oh my goodness, great friends, wow uh, I am really excited about this week's podcast As I'm putting the microphone back on the, the stand here one of our old, beat-up, antiquated, mighty 1090 studios where I record the ins and outs to this podcast. I'm so happy to be with everybody. It's been a couple of weeks. And um, subsequently, if you follow along on Twitter, Instagram, preferably LinkedIn, would be great. Um, you know that we've been traveling with our business, our startup side, and with Pittsburgh and then Washington, D.C., and now back to San Diego. And we've we have been working so hard to get our 1.0 version, our proof of concept to go from the crawl phase to the walk phase. And we've just launched our, our 2.0 and it's been met with really great reviews because people were always asking me, they'd say, is it an app? And I'd have to say no and explain why. And then, and then they'd say, okay, well, how do I start conversations? How do I start debates? And I said, well, you can't do that quite yet. Well, now everybody can. And so we're seeing now so much more traffic as people who want to create their own conversations. Uh, there's a CHP cop who's a longtime radio listener who's a huge wrestling fan. And uh, he put out some content today about WWE wrestling. And I thought that was really cool because he talks about that on Twitter. He creates engagement. Now he can do it over here on Sided and eventually create a point system for himself where he can use those points and they have value. And so do his questions, his content, so do his opinions. And I think it's really cool because it, it's very energizing to put out a new piece of software and see how people react to it. And I love how uh, the radio guys, because this is really where I started, is sports radio guys using this product. I love seeing friends from Atlanta like Carl Dukes and uh, Mike Bell. And to see two professional radio guys using the platform or Grant Napier up in Sacramento and to see how these guys are using it, it's really really cool. So thank you to everybody. I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm going to get right into this week's podcast. So, okay. Startup company. Metaphor for life. The Iron Man. I've talked about all these things. This week, Mike Riley. Okay, so Mike's new book is called Mike Riley, Finding My Voice. And, you know, if you've listened to these podcasts, you know, I'm fascinated by people who publish books because it's something I'd really like to do but I haven't been able to put energy into it quite yet. And Mike tells an amazing story of how he published his book because you would think a guy who has called Ironman races, and look, for those of you that aren't into Ironman and aren't, aren't into endurance sports, you may not understand how important this guy is in this sport. If you train to do an Ironman, when you get to the finish line, you want to hear your name, you are an Ironman. That 
That's it. That's the pinnacle. That's the that's what you do it for is to hear that, to reach that finish line. And by the way, I've talked about this before. Every single day, every single day since the day I crossed that finish line in Hawaii, every single day, I have had to use that race, that training, uh, that lesson, those lessons. I've had to use it, and I still use it today, every single day. So Mike Riley is a really important guy in my life because uh, if you ever go onto YouTube and you put in my name, Scott Kaplan, you say Iron Man Finish, and you watch Mike Riley call my Iron Man Finish, we were connected. And that's because Mike Riley's a San Diegan. He listened to my journey on radio. He, he knew what I was doing. I happened to get lucky enough to come in when there weren't a lot of other people around me. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of, you know, drama. And, um, and it was an amazing call and I'll cherish it for my life. So the book is called Mike Riley, Finding My Voice. You got to hear how Mike Riley publishes this book. It's fascinating. You can visit Mike Riley on Instagram. You can find him on Instagram and he's got a great Instagram feed and he's promoting his book and he's got lots of different appearances. And so if you're into, I mean, if you're really into the, the Iron Man stuff, Mike Riley his uh, Instagram is called Iron Man Voice, and the book is called Mike Riley Finding My Voice. Okay, fascinating conversation. Amazing. I'm on fire. I'm feeling great. I hope everybody's having a terrific week. Um, I happened to go out running last night at the sunset uh, in the lagoon in Solana Beach. Let me tell you something. You talk about the need to be outside and breathing fresh air and exercising and taxing your body and doing it while the sun is setting and overlooking the ocean. Uh, it is just the most refreshing thing. So I encourage you get out, be active, stay healthy because um, I mean, that is the secret right now is especially the way we all work, the way, the way this generation of people works nonstop. That is one thing you must do is stay healthy, keep working out, Watch what you eat, even though I'm guilty of not always doing that. So that's a little advice for you unsolicited this week. Okay, here it is. Mike Riley and our brand new podcast, Finding My Voice is the book. And here is the conversation. And we're going. We're off. The race has started. The race has begun. (laughs) The race has begun. Dude, I am so happy to see you. And I am so, no, you don't understand. You, I have not spent a significant amount of time with you in a really long time, but you're a huge, important part of my life. And I, every day of my life, every day, am there in Kona in 2009. Somehow, some way. Yeah, 2010, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. I was there in 2009 for the first time when, when, I, when I saw you and I saw something that inspired me so that I had to go race it myself in 2010. I'm so happy to see you. So just give me, give me a little love, my brother. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Let's talk about this book that you've got. Yeah. This is amazing. Mike Riley, Finding My Voice. You are the voice of Iron Man. Anybody who has ever been around the sport of Iron Man, and particularly the Iron Man World Championship, knows the voice of Mike Riley and knows those words. You are an Iron Man. I get chills saying it myself. I still get chills saying it. It's amazing. Every time's like a first time because I know what I'm doing. I'm talking to somebody who could have one heck of a backstory. I don't know what that may be, but those words seem to, you know, it's not me. Those words seem to heal a lot of people, and and it transforms them into somebody else when they hear it. That that's what they tell me, and I can see it in their faces a lot of times when they come through. Like 
people told me I couldn't do this. You know, they push you down and all of a sudden I go 140.6 miles on my own. Damn, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. I'm something else. <laughs> I was a kid. I don't remember why, but the Iron Man television show was on, on NBC. Al Troutwig's voice was on that, that broadcast. And I just always remember being a kid, seeing the Iron Man TV show and thinking, you know, I think I could do that just because I don't have to go 100 miles an hour. I feel like I can just pace myself. I feel like I could, I could do that. And then when the opportunity presented itself in my life and, and in 2009, I stood at the finish line and I will never forget this. Um, it was close to midnight and there, the race was coming to a conclusion. There were maybe three or four minutes left in the race. The winners had been in for hours and hours and hours. They were showered. They'd eaten. They, they were dressed. They were handing out lays to the finishers yeah. late at night and the crowd was going crazy. It was super dark and it was loud and the crowd was going nuts as you were bringing in these last few people that were still on the course. And here's what happened. You said, hey, everybody, um, there's one more person on the course. And as I recall, he had been a a wrestler who was on NBC's The Biggest Loser and lost a whole bunch of weight. And, And he lost all this weight and he was competing in Ironman. And there's like a minute left in the race. The clock is ticking and you're encouraging the crowd. Come on, bring them home, bring them home. And the clock strikes zero. And maybe 30 seconds later, this guy comes across the finish line and you announce his name. But you don't say you are an Iron Man. I was just, I mean, I was just standing there. First time ever in Kona. I was just couldn't believe what I was seeing. By the way, I had determined that it was better to finish last than finish first. <laughs> the crowd is is better. And athletes that finished earlier come back so they, <laughs> with their medals on. I mean, so so those words, you are an Iron Man. Can you just please, we'll talk about this book, which I'm, I can't wait to hear about. How did you become the voice of Iron Man? It, it, it's kind of a progression in 89... I was invited to come and announce Kona. Uh, I, but why uh, you? I mean, what, we, I, I was announcing races here in Southern California and some of the first triathlons ever in the late 70s, early 80s. I did many marathons. I did LA Marathon, Chicago Marathon, you know. As an announcer or an as athlete? As an announcer. Boy, uh, but, but what are you doing in your life, in your career? How old are you at this uh, time? At that time, I was, uh, my brother and I owned three running shoe stores here in San Diego called the Swift Pair. Uh, and, and I was in the running and triathlon scene. I was, uh, before that I was teaching school at Gompers Junior High, special ed. And then my brother and I opened the stores. Uh, I was injured at a 10 K race at Mission Bay in, uh, in 80. And, uh, I, I went down to watch my buddies run it and they all took off. And Lynn Flanagan, who her daughter still run the Carlsbad marathon, uh, came up to me, what are you doing? I go, I got a bad hammy. I can't run. She goes, I got a microphone and this speaker. I was just going to call names. She hands me a dot matrix printout of the 250. Why don't you do it? I go, all right. Right away, I'm thinking, I can crank my buddies when they come on in. Yeah, <laughs> hey, right. Should have yeah. trained, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I did. But <laughs> should have trained. <laughs> what, what happened was... Uh, I saw the look on everybody's faces when I said their names and said congratulations or at a boy, at a girl, whatever I said. And I go, this is cool. Yeah, that's what I want to hear when I finish races. And, and somebody should acknowledge them. 
and it just started growing. And I'd, I'd be scheduled to run a race, and the race director would call me. I go, "No, I'm running your race." Well, I'll give you your entry back. Will you please announce? I'll, I'll pay you 150 bucks. I go, "Really? You know, I got no kids. They're two little ones." And you're going, "Oh, what the heck?" You know, Saturday, 150 bucks. I'll take it. Yeah. So it just kind of morphed into that, and and then next thing you know, in '89, the call came to to go over, and I said, "All right." Wait, so you're you're call you you have a bad hamstring you can't run in a race <laughs> you're there watching you're in the shoe business at this point mm-hmm. you you that's your connection to endurance sports right, right. is the shoe business somebody hands you a microphone you start thinking you're going to heckle your friends you notice that people are enjoying the call the next thing you know people are starting to hire you to call their races so now instead of competing you're doing the calls and Nine years later, you say you got the call. It sounds like a kid talking about getting the call to the major leagues in baseball. Like, I finally got the call. That's the way you just said it. How does the Ironman find you and think, Mike should call our races? How does well, that happen? There was uh, Mike Plant was the announcer over there in Kona. San Diego guy. Uh, used to be partner with Bob Babbitt at Running Triathlon News. You know, so I knew Mike. And the owner of the event says, Mike, you need help. You just can't do this race by yourself. That's when he called and said, hey, would you like to come to Kona? Uh, Valerie heard about you. That was the owner of the race and all the stuff I've done in Southern California. He knew who I was. We got along well because you can't, you know, you got to get along with the person you're working with mm-hmm. for 19 hours. And uh, I said, okay. So I went over and did it. It, it. You know, it's interesting. People were coming up to me, Scott, after those races, the early years through the 80s. God, I... I love your voice. Just keep talking. I go, what do you mean my voice? I don't know what my voice is. You mean to tell me all this time you're calling these races on the weekends, but you're running these shoe stores during the week. Yeah, and then I got rid of the shoe stores, and I became a rep. I was the first power bar rep in California. I repped Saucony. I started the Saucony triathlon team for them. Uh, I represented Riddell helmets for years. I represented Penn tennis balls. I was a sports rep covering the 13 Western states with a bunch of guys, and and so it was great. It, the, the business I was doing on the weekend of announcing races, it was my business during the week. It was my lifestyle. I was producing income in my lifestyle. I, I, I found myself very lucky and fortunate every day. And then when the big call came, I go, you're right. I go, Kona? Well, I'm not, how can you say no to Kona? It's like saying, oh, by the way, you're up from AAA. No, I don't want to go. But, but by this time, the Ironman in 1989... I'm not the historian that Bob Babbitt is, but I've got all of his yep. books. Bob, by the way, tells me that his books are now so hard to get that if you put them on eBay, they're worth thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but but I got a few. You want? <laughs> <laughs> to, to, the, by by 1989, the Ironman now has grown in reputation, right? Mm-hmm. So you're as somebody who's calling races and somebody who's connected to endurance sports and sports. You obviously must have known. Kona oh, sure. and, the, and the, I mean, because sure. it's not, I mean, it's what it is today versus what it was 30 plus years ago. Right. Very different. But still, you must have known it was a big deal back then. Big deal. We had, you know, living here, Scott Tinley, Mark Allen worked here, uh, worked out here. Paul and Newby Frazier lived here. All the I stars the of the sport. Tuesday run, Wednesday ride with them and go. And then they'd all go to Kona and I was so jealous. I even said it in the book, come hell or high water, I got to get there one day. Mm-hmm. I, you know, whether I do the race, I got to get there. I never really envisioned. I, I, you know how you vision things in your life and I want to do this. I never envisioned that I was going to be 
the voice of Ironman or that I was going to go to Kona. I was going to go to Kona to compete and be a part of this because we were working out all the time. And then, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden it turned into me helping Mike out in 90 and in 89 and 90 and then them giving it to me in 91 because uh, Mike kind of retired. And next thing you know, it's, it's my game. <laughs> They're going to. So you are the announcer for Ironman. Is that at the time you say the early 90s? Is that just the world championships in Kona or is or is that different Ironman races? Because now they're all the time. I wonder back then how many other Ironman races there were. There was only four. There was only Kona, New Zealand, Canada, and Australia. And at one time I did them all, all four of them because that's all there was. So I went to Australia uh, not long after I went to Kona. Then New Zealand brought me over. Then I went up to Canada. Then they started adding races in 99 Lake Placid. Uh, you know, and I did as many as I could, but I can only, you know, do 11 or 12 a year. That's, that's a, so, um, at that time as they were, as you had now become the voice of Iron Man, and I don't know, you tell Which me, it didn't happen right away. Well, right. I was going to ask you, I mean, back then I'm, I'm doubting that in okay. years one, two, and three, the race owners were going, Hey, you know, Riley at the finish line is a really, really big part of the day. I mean, they may not have even known that this had to have, I'm guessing, happened more organically it did uh it was about 94 95 when i probably did my first real quote-unquote contract with iron man before it was a handshake hey here's your hotel room here's your airfare this is what would pay you all right thanks how much they pay you i'm I'm asking very seriously back then the the very the very first year was like 700 dollars. okay so they're going to give you 700 dollars, and you're going to be there at you know whatever it is four in the morning and you're going to be there till midnight and you're going to be on the microphone all day long 700 bucks, flight to Kona, hotel, and you're kind of in the, you've got the all access. And path. functions, whatever we're doing yeah, during the week. it's fun. You know, are you kidding me? Lifestyle. I'm thinking, all right, think you're going to pay me? I, I don't want to tell them. I'd probably come over for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh yeah, that's right. You're, I should, should be worth something. Yeah. So, and then about 94, 95, the contract was being done. And I actually, somebody said to me, Mike, you know, you're the voice of Iron Man. I go, what do you mean? Well, there's other Iron Well, yeah, but you're. You're the one. You're the voice of Iron Man. So it ended up in that contract, which was kind of, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm, my ego, I, I just didn't, I, I didn't care whether I was or not. I just wanted to do the best job possible, make people happy at the finish line and see their faces. I mean, it, you know, there's not much you can do better in life than make somebody else's life happier. I agree. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. So, but then when, you know, the voice came and people started calling me that, I said, Okay, I guess now it's just morphed into this walking through airports. The voice. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I go, are you kidding me? Listen, you- if you if you're a golfer, you dream of playing Augusta National. Mm-hmm. If you're a triathlete, you dream of crossing crossing the finish line at Kona. Part of the experience of finishing at Kona is hearing your voice, the voice, say your name, maybe where you're from. And hear the the magical words. You are an Iron Man. That's what everybody's in it for. I mean, it it literally drives you while you're training to. I'm going to get to the end of this thing. That's it. I'm going to hear Mike say you're an Iron Man. That's I mean, what when I have want. somebody like, and and I put his full quote at Heinz Ward. I could not. All I kept thinking about my training, and he said this in a Mr. Riley. First off, I go, please don't call me Mr. <laughs> Riley. It's not, I'm not that much. Of, <laughs> and uh, I, I just dream about hearing that voice because I know I will have accomplished 
everything I put into it. And, and a lot of people don't get to that finish line. You know, there's DNFs. They do not finish. And, and others come up to me and go, you know, I'm never going to qualify or get to Kona, but I'm doing Lake Placid tomorrow, Mike. And will you call me just as much as you call? I go, my call here in Lake Placid, New York, will be as good as the call I make in Kona. It, it's, I, I don't treat the event grander for that athlete. I treat the athlete as the champion, no matter where we finish, whether it's New Zealand, Lake Placid, Frankfurt, or Kona. It's just, you know, they're all equally the same to me. Um, who's going to succeed you? <laughs> because when, when, when the voice of Iron Man doesn't have a voice anymore, or whatever else, I mean, at some point, it's going to come to an end. Um, the, it's, it's urgent that the person who succeeds you feel what you feel about the sport, the athletes. Not, I mean, maybe they'll have the, they'll bring their own flavor to it, but have you thought about that? There's a there's a few people out there that are announcing Ironman races throughout the world who I look at as going, they could they could pull this off. They've got serious passion for the sport, passion for the athletes. Uh, it comes out in their voice and their actions. And there's others I worked with and go, they, they're in it for the job or what people think of them. You know, this is not an I or me job. You'll never hear me say I or me on race day for fear of taking something away from them, the athletes. So it, it takes a special, you know, just it takes a person of who you are. I guess it's how I was bred and how I was born. And, 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 uh, but there are a few out there I think could, could handle that. Let me talk about this book because um, publishing a book is a difficult thing to do. Oh. I have yeah. n- I have not published a book, and I'll, I'll tell you this: I, I've not talked about this before on a podcast, or or I don't even think I've ever talked about this on the radio. So when I got done with Kona, I had written what I wanted to be was a coffee table book for my children. I wanted to describe my day and write down and remember the things that were happening during the day and and what was super impactful for me. And I wanted that to be a coffee table book for my kids to have forever. I wanted this to be a milestone in their lives. My kids were young. Um, so I wrote it. I wrote this whole thing. I, it was probably, I don't know. I, I mean, it was. I haven't really gone back and read it in a long time. But the people that I asked to read it, they really enjoyed it. I don't know. Maybe they didn't tell me <laughs> that they That's didn't good. like it. Yeah. But whatever. The problem is, and I say problem, the issue I would say is the story has continued in my life. So today I can look back at 2010 and finishing and know what I'm using today from back then that I didn't know I had really, Mike. I don't mean to be so overly cosmic, but, you know, listen, um, I've just recently gone through a divorce. It's been brutal. Um, uh, I've started a business and people say, how do you possibly find the time? And I'm like, you don't get it when you're training for Ironman. It's all day. It's all that's on your mind. It's everything you eat, everything you do all day long. Right. So I take all that energy that I learned in Ironman training and I just transfer it into something else. I just take all the time that I would have used for training for Ironman. I put it into other shit. That's that's what I got. You know, you got what thousands and thousands and get I, I have seen it over and over again that things happen in life. You know, you can be in a great, great spot. And seven years later, not such a great spot. And then you can come back. But no matter how tough times get, 
And it's one of the reasons I wrote this book for my son, my daughter, and my grandkids. No matter how tough times get, Andy, my son, 2013, did Arizona. I say to him in the acknowledgments at the end, remember, you are always an Ironman. And it'll pull you through. It, as some, I, I get emotional thinking about it because as hokey as it sounds to people who are not part of that world, you know what? If you told yourself one day, I got to get my ass off the couch and go walk around the block because I'm 50 pounds overweight, that's your start of becoming a champion. And where you go from there is it's up to you. People can't, they can prompt you and yell at you and try to motivate you, but it's up to you. And so the ones that do come across that finish line, it's not about the finish. It's about what they became, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what ended up flowing through their bloodstream for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm, that's right. It just really, it's what they became. I, I say the UR, the Ironman, is, is a finish in race. It's their initiation. You are the Ironman is their swearing in Yeah. for the rest oh. of their lives. I, Mike, it's so true. My, my own experience, I mean, it's totally different. Life is totally different. And I'll, it's kind of like in, in so many different ways. I'll give you an example. Guys who I know who are Iron Men, and by the way, it, it's funny because the percentage of people in the population that are that are Iron Man finishers is like point one one zero one one. Yeah. Right, right. And yet I know a million of them. <laughs> They're all around me. <laughs> yeah, me, me too, kind of. <laughs> and so when I know a friend, when I say he's done an Iron Man or he's done ten Iron Mans or she's done five Iron Mans or whatever it may be, um, I have a friend. Hey, she was a professional triathlete. She did twenty five Iron Mans. When people have done an Ironman, for me, that's all I need to know about them. I know. It's all I need to know. You did an Ironman? Respect. And I receive that as well. And uh, that's that's really a useful thing to have in your tool bag in life. Mm-hmm. I, uh, when... Uh Helping build Active in the early years, you know, I was one of the original eight there. And At Active.com? Yeah, started hiring people, mm-hmm. hiring athletes. So I'd see, you know, you see those resumes. And then the Ironman started coming into the mix. And, and uh, we had a policy there. We're not going to dissuade anybody from training for an Ironman, no matter how many hours they work here and what kind of – because we found out they became so productive during the training time and after. It paid huge dividends. And they were congratulated, and they were, and it was so funny because uh, 2013, when my son did Arizona, we had 16 Active.com team members, the largest of any company, to do one race. Wow. And I'm thinking, I hope the hell I'm not in the porta potty for one of them. <laughs> I mean, I, I would just get lambasted, you know. It might have been the race I was peeing into the Gatorade bottle, so I didn't have to leave. The, I've done that in Kona because I just I can't leave. I know right. she's coming. I, if I don't call her, I'll hear it for the rest of my days. Yeah, so. yeah. You got to be there. Everybody be wants it. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. So, so the book though, publishing a book. This is where we we got sidetracked. I know. Um, from my own experience that writing it is difficult. Mm-hmm. It would occur to me cause I haven't even tried yet, but I've talked to a lot of people who have getting it published is a whole different beast. So start me off with, with first of all, what motivated you? You mentioned your children. Other than that, was it time? I mean, people wanted to hear from you or were they asking you about stuff? What, what motivated you to actually write this, this book? Well, I've been motivated for, you know, 15 years to put it together it's Mm. been like a never-ending story they just the stories just keep coming but over the last few years i go i've got to 
I've got to do it. The other big reason I did it is because I've been so inspired and motivated by what I've seen. I felt it's selfish not to pass some of those stories on. Yeah. My biggest part, regret of this book, I couldn't put all the stories in that, that I have. So I would, I would be involved with those stories. And, and I, I, I got an agent in New York. I got a writer. Okay, that's the path you How'd go. How'd you do that? I, I, from another friend who wrote a book, try this guy. He's in New York. Great guy. So you call an agent. I call him. He takes me on. He, 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 I sent him one of the stories. He goes, whoa. He was not involved with the Iron Man world. Got turned on by it. But we went to publisher after publisher. So you sent, you sent a chapter that you'd written mm-hmm. with your own words mm-hmm. to an agent in New York City. Mm-hmm. Agent in New York City, not related to endurance sports. Not at all. Says, I will take you on as a client. Yeah. In taking you on as a client, then what does he do? He suggested a writer because he, he said, needed he a writer. suggested a writer. I said, "All right, yes, I do. I, mm-hmm. you know, I can't. I'm not a, a, a purist writer. Mm-hmm. I can put down two thousand words, but it, it may be incorrect or whatever the form. So we did. We put that together. Uh, we wrote more. Submitted you and the writer and together. The writer. We at this wrote point. More. Are, are, let me ask you a question. At this point, are you any money out of pocket? In other words, is this now? Hey, I have to pay the writer. I've got to invest in this story. Are you? Is this costing you money at this point? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, the writer and I had a deal after the publisher would accept the book that he'd get an advance from me, mm-hmm. uh, but I would get an advance from the publisher. So it was all. So, so if, when you got a publishing deal, he would get paid. Mm-hmm. Got it. But we never got a publishing deal. I talked to, we sent it out to probably 40 or 50 people, publishers. I talked to three or four or five that were so interested and on the edge with some decent upfront money you know what they say is but it just wasn't I, something in my gut was telling me this is not working out these people I, I don't know if they don't get it i don't know i had one publisher from a very large uh the number one agent there go i think i'm going to regret this but i gotta say no i go whoa whoa, whoa. i'm a salesman at heart why, why would you regret something and not do it she goes, i just i have other people in the mix here and they're not behind it like i'm i am so I, I I had to part ways with my. By the way, that's that's that that person who said that. I just am thinking if I were on the other end of the line, and if I were you, I'd be like, you know why, you know why you you can't do this, because you're not an Iron Man, because because you're letting this group of people stop you from doing something that you really want to do, you know. It was true. And that's interesting. It was true. Yeah. It was true. So my son and I, who you know, Andy's a big part of my life and got a nice marketing company and he, he's got his stuff together and he goes, let's self-publish. I'm going to look into it. Mm-hmm. And he did, heavy duty. And at the end of the day, obviously, it puts more money in my pocket self-publishing. It's more money out front because I'm paying for everything, uh, you know, designers, artists, the whole deal. Audio book. I went to the studio in Serrano Valley and recorded that myself. That cost. But now... I'm happy I did it. You know, I'm, I put a product out that I believe is, you know, at the end of the day, I'm very happy with it. That's all I can ask for. I've had people respond to read some of this stuff, and they just can't, they can't believe some of the stuff in there. I connected with a new writer, a very dear friend of mine over 20 years, and five or six years ago at Arizona, I asked him to write my book, and he says, I can't. We're good friends. I don't want to ruin our friendship when we collaborate. I go, what's... What's that all about? Yeah. We laughed about it. I mean, he wrote Evander Holyfield's book. Mm-hmm. He wrote. He's written novels on his own. He's written under True McAllister, The Green and the Foursome, two of the best golf books you'd ever want to read. 
And finally, his wife said to him, who, by the way, has won her age group in Kona 13 times. No way. Yeah. Said, you're an idiot if you don't write Mike's book with him. And is this the guy? Lee Gruenfeld. Lee Gruenfeld. And his wife is who? Cherie Gruenfeld. Wow. And she's won 13 times. She's won from 50 years old up to the 70s. Nobody's touched her. Unbelievable. And and she's coming back to do it again, I think, at 75 this year. Wow. Uh, the cover, so he knows the game. The, the cover of this book, I have to ask you. Who is the finisher right here that you're shaking or, or you're John your Misner from Tempe, Arizona. And why is he the guy that got the cover of the book? I, I there were so many pictures we looked at, but that exemplifies I love pointing at people when they come in and I got the towel that, that I always wave, the look on his face. We had just touched and high fived and and he's coming in in Kona. I don't know. It just seemed to <laughs> say Have you, you talked are, to this guy? Oh, yeah. What does he think? We have he's mutual like, friends. This guy's like, I wait, found I'm him. on the cover of the book? Yeah. What an honor. Yeah, he he just, I go, you better buy about 25. <laughs> <laughs> right. This should be his Christmas gift for everybody on his list. In the world. <laughs> right. Right. So so you, I, I want to get back to this for a second. You decide to self-publish. Now, now take me back to when a publisher was about to sign a deal with you. What kind of money were we talking about up front? It was uh, in the range of a hundred to two hundred thousand. Okay, so That's let's just the, say let's just say a hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. Okay, now you're going to have to pay the writer that you talked about that you were working yeah. with. So call it fifty thousand. Okay, so you might have gotten fifty grand and after expenses and whatever else. So how much have you invested in yourself now to completely self-publish? Audio record and to do everything on your own, where you said you have the greater upside. What was your total output? Probably around uh, ten thousand, ten to twelve thousand. That's really reasonable. It, it, it is, right? you know. I mean, I had because I'm a little different than other authors. Since I'm the voice of Iron Man and I have contract with Iron Man as an independent contract, I have to do an. I had to do another licensing agreement with them. I did an agreement with Lee, so I had some attorney fees that are above and beyond that. But it's stuff you got to do. Uh, but I'm I'm happy I did it. At the end of the day, Scott, what's going to happen? It'll be 30% more in my pocket, not going with a publisher. Okay, great. And so, listen. Um, I mean, I got to sell a few, but. Right. Well, let's talk about how that happens. You know, how, so, so now, how does someone who, what have you learned? You, if you're going to self-publish, and it's a beautiful looking book. and um, Thank you. You're going you're gonna to do all the audio stuff. I mean, you're going to support it with other avenues. We're going to promote it on podcasts and do interviews everywhere you can. How does how do you start to sell it? Is it on Amazon? How do you get it there? What what happens next? Well, I, I went to went to our world first, the Iron Man world, okay, uh, and and reached out on social media and said, hey, if you want a pre order on the book, here it is. So all of a sudden, email addresses started flying in. So I went to that list first. They they've been buying, and then obviously uh, all through social media uh, in marketing of it. Iron Man is going to market it in their merchandise stores. The events I'm at will do signings there. I did a signing last week in Boston at a big exposition, a, a race mania exposition, and that went very well. Uh, so it's just me. You know, I've called over 350,000 people in Iron Man over the years. I figure if I can get a few percent to buy the book, I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a guy came by the booth in Boston and uh, said, I don't know, you know, I didn't bring my credit card. I go, yes, you did. And I go, how many times have I called you an Ironman? Four times. That's worth 27 bucks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> my sales guy came out. He goes, oh, I'm sorry, Mike. And he, he's apologizing while he's spending money with me. <laughs> my sales guy came out of me. Another guy said, I don't know. And I go, 
How expensive is your bike? All right, I'll buy it. <laughs> All right, right. Yeah, you got a fifteen thousand dollar bike, pal. You know, I know. You can know. Uh, you can spend a couple bucks. Um, are you? Uh, is this for you? Is the book? Is it candidly? Is it a money making venture? Because to me, um, I want to publish a book, not so much to make money with the book. But I do think that publishing a book gives you an extra layer of credibility, and then it opens up a world of speaking possibilities. And um, when you speak big companies, big conventions, whatever, when you've got a book, so afterwards people are coming by and you're, you're shaking hands, taking pictures, signing copies, etc. cetera, um, to me the book helps get you to that level if that's something you're trying to do with your career and given the stories that you have to tell and the wisdom you have to share and the places you've been and the people you've gotten to know, that's valuable. So is this about making money on the book or, or are you thinking beyond what the book can do for your career? It's about making some money on the book. Mm -hmm. It's not, you, you know, you, you, you're not going to retire on a book mm -hmm. unless you sell a hundred thousand copies. Uh, yeah. The residual is something I'm seriously looking at. I, I give, talks now according to my schedule if i'm doing a lot of ironman races i can't i try to tie it into a city i'm with <clears throat> but now i'm actually getting calls from corporate clients right. i don't have a speaker's thing set up yet uh but i know i can walk into a you know a, a corporate client and talk in front of a thousand people at the drop of a hat i'm very comfortable in those situations and i know i can move them not not me move them i know what i can say to them can move them because it's moved me it's as simple as that. It's not a matter of, oh, am I going to motivate and inspire them with my words? My words are only a transference of what I've seen and felt and know has moved other people. So I'm, I'd be shocked if I didn't move that room of a thousand salespeople for Hewlett Packard, whoever it may be. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I'm seriously looking at that. I think that's a great avenue to have and to be able to do because I want to be able to you know, promote our brand of Ironman, the sport, and the healthy lifestyle, whether they do an and I don't say once in this book, you got to do an Ironman to be a complete human. That's not my, and I'm not trying to give anybody a message. The message is, get your ass off the couch and let's do something. Yeah. You know, that, that's what it is. Some people end up eight years later doing an Ironman. Well, bully for them. But yeah, I, the, the residual of that, I, I would hope that would come around. Yeah. And, you know, there's even talk of people, Mike, you got to, you got to have recordings of your voice and motivational messages. I'll buy that and put it on my phone. Like, hey, get your butt up. It's 5.30 a.m. Get to the pool. Let's mm -hmm. go. <laughs> and people, oh, my God, I'd pay 25 bucks for that. And play that. <laughs> I go, really? <laughs> people say that we're, it's unbelievable. Yeah, there's a, um, there's a website. We were just talking about this a few weeks ago on the radio named, called Cameo. Have you ever heard that's of this? It. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that, that's what we're looking at. It's so easy to get something set up on that. Well, yeah. Um, so what it is is you you send into them your credentials, if you will. They have a series of questions. I actually filled out a, a thing, and yeah, and I sent it in. I never heard back from them, so I, I can't. I like. I guess I didn't make the cut. But but I, what I think would be great is is if you did that because there are people who are. Um, you may not say, Hey, Steve, congratulations on your job promotion. You're an Ironman. You probably aren't going to give away yeah, the, yeah. you know, that would be like Michael Buffer giving no, away, let's get ready to rumble all the yeah. time. And that, those are special words reserved for a special time. And they're know? sacred. So right. I know where they need to be said. Yeah. Not just, you know, I'll call people up if they say, Mike, I didn't, you, you weren't in Chattanooga, Ironman. 
And they didn't say that to me. No, send me, I go, send me your phone number. I call everybody up. I probably call during the season, 40 to 50 people up a month. And I tell them over the phone. Some people don't answer, and then they get the recording. Then they call me back and be like, oh, my God, is this really? Yeah, it's me. Oh, my God. I, my, my phone. And don't people don't abuse it. I don't get calls like, hey, Mike, what's up today? You know, so so I only do it at the finish line or one-on-one to yeah. people. Yeah. Remember you talked about that wrestler who came in after midnight? Yeah, you know, I don't say those words because it's past the cutoff. Right. You know, they're officially... They still get a medal and a T-shirt, but they're not in the results. And I love walking up to them and whispering in their ears a few words that I think they want to hear. I don't say it to the crowd, but I say it to them because, damn it, they just won 140.6 miles. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was blown away that night in 2009. I've never seen anything like it. And I said, and I'll never forget, um, Bob Babbitt, I was standing there with Bob, and he said, Scotty, go up on the finish line and I'll take a picture. And I remember saying, no way, man. I'm not going to take a picture at the finish line until I'm standing there, you know? Oh, to go. Oh, okay. I'm like, yeah. no way. Am I going to stand there and take some lame picture of me at the finish line of Kona? I'm going to have to come through there to earn that picture, you know? Good and, for you. Oh, man. I, you may not remember because you've called, like you said, 350,000 plus people. But when I came through, um, you... You put your arms up. Yeah, but but here I could hear you. I could hear you because you and Bob were you'd been hearing me on the radio the entire year say I'm going to do this. And when I say I do something, I just do it. That's you just who I am, it, yeah. you know. And so you guys in, in fact the we week came before into the studio. you came in, you I'll tell you what you brought me. You brought me Campbell's soup and <laughs> and and um and glow stick like night uh, necklaces you know and i was like what's all this and you guys were laughing at me about how you're going to need the suit and you're going to need these these the reflectors yeah. the glow sticks because you're gonna be out there and it's gonna be really dark and i was like what's going on what are you guys talking about because i was so green i didn't know what i was i was in for that was funny and so the fact that you guys had listened during the year to the radio show that you'd come in the week before and then it was late into the night frankly i mean i wasn't finishing with the you know i even said to the winner that year chris mccormack I said, my goal is to be off the bike before, before you finish. And that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen. Mike, inside the book, I'm just getting the hard copy. I haven't read it. I can't wait. But tell me and tell people who are listening, some of whom are definitely into endurance sports and others who have no connection to endurance sports, what are some of the things that are people that people are going to read about in this book? Well, this book is for people, whether you're an endurance athlete or not. There's messages in there you're going to get. You don't need to know the Ironman world, but there's stories in there about healing. Uh, you know, you go 140.6 miles, you get all beat up, yet you become healed. And uh, Mike Ergo is battling PTSD, lost 21 of his, 21 of his comrades in the second largest battle the Marines ever lost in the second battle of Fallujah. And he couldn't understand why he didn't die. Bullets were whizzing past him, hitting friends. And, and so then he's going to come home, but they got him at Abu Grave uh, prison just to reassemble and, and come home. And it was New Year's Eve. And he had such survivor's remorse and he didn't know what was happening to him. And why not me? Why am I going home and my buddies aren't going home? And he took his M16 rifle and put it in his mouth with his finger on the trigger. And the only reason he didn't pull it, and he regretted not pulling it, 
when he got home. But the reason he didn't pull it, because what my family, they, they won't have anything good to say to anybody because of what I did to myself. So I'll go home. And it got worse. So he tried to do it naturally. You know, he'd be on cocaine and drinking and driving his motorcycle 100 miles an hour. Maybe it'll happen natural. It's easier for the family to tell people, oh, he crashed. And then finally his wife said to him, I'm done. I'm not going to see you, you know, try to kill yourself with alcohol and everything else. I can't do this anymore. You've got to change. And he didn't know where to do, go or turn. It's, it was just eating, eating him up. And he happened to go next door. He saw his next door neighbor a few days later who was a Vietnam veteran. And the Vietnam vet, his neighbor said, you know, you look like me after I came home from Nam. You, you got you to get better. And, and, and Mike looked at this guy who's older but in shape and said, you got to start working out. Get to the Veterans Administration and, and start doing something for yourself. And Mike took his advice and started working out and found, it, found out that some of these feelings started to kind of go away. He didn't know if they were being masked or whatever. Long story short, he, <laughs> believe it or not, was working out, doing races, running races and stuff. Goes with his wife and vacations in Kona in October. Without knowing it was Without Iron Man? knowing Iron Man's there. And goes, are you kidding me? There's another level. He was running half marathon runs. Came home and said, I'm going to do that. And found out that that hard working out and that big goal of an Ironman pushed everything out of him. He, he became, he still had PTSD. He still had feelings, but he wasn't afraid of them. The nerves he had of not even wanting to start something. He'd start a, a triathlon race, whether it was a smaller distance or whatever. Those nerves would be there, and he looked at them as healthy. I'm nervous, but I'm doing what I want to do. So when he finished Ironman Santa Rosa last year, he carried an American flag for 26.2 miles, not because he wanted to carry it, because he wanted to give it to the wife and the daughter of one of his buddies he lost. The daughter was three months old at the time. She was now 13. Wow. He handed that flag to her and said to her, you know, the feeling I had when my daughter was born your dad had the exact same feeling because she lost her dad yeah. when she was only three months old. And so I know he loves you today. Here's the flag in his honor. Wow. That full circle of a guy putting a rifle in his mouth. To, he said, and he goes, Mike, I could have found another sport maybe, but Iron Man had this pull on me that kept pushing me in the right direction, even though it was the hardest damn thing I ever did in my life. And it hurt. And the pain but the commitment I made, I wasn't going to not do. And I ended up hopefully helping heal a 13-year-old mm -hmm. who lost her dad. Yeah. And Jesus, man. That's why when I say those words to people, I know I'm not just affecting that. Their mom and dads are there or the kids are there. And, and the, the family network and their friends network, something could be going on with them, yet those words to their loved one heals them. Yeah. It's not about saying, congratulations, you finished a race. Yeah. Anybody can say that. Anybody can do that. But it's, it's beyond. It, it's life itself right in front of our eyes, smacking us in the face, saying, you know what? You can do this. I don't give a crap what somebody else says. And Mike proved to himself he can do it. He's healthy today. And it's funny. He took some time off after that race and said to me, some of those bad feelings started coming back when I wasn't in my routine and I wasn't working out so I went back to it because it's his lifestyle it's what it's what heals him every day PTSD may never be gone in his life us being an alcoholic or a gambler you know those addictions may never be gone 
but they can be cured and healed every day by doing something for yourself in a hard way. Not, you know, doing something easy. You got to do something hard. Yeah. It's the way it is. Yeah. Wow. That story's in this book, huh? That's in the book among many others. Oh man. I can't wait to get into this thing. I can't wait to get into it. Um, Give me something else. I mean, now, now you got me. Now you really got me here. It's, it's, you know, back in the, the late eighties, we all were around. We knew what AIDS was all about. Early nineties. There was no cure. Magic Johnson came out. Kid named Jim Howley comes to Kona. 180 count T cell count. So he goes, I'm going to put something on my bucket list. I'm going to die anyway. He had already picked the music for his funeral. All his friends around him were going like this. He had AIDS. He had AIDS. Full-blown. Said to the doctor, I think I want to work out. And the doctor goes, do whatever you want. And do it hard. You know, Just go for it. What do you got to lose? Because you're going to die of AIDS. going to die. It's, it's No way around it. He started working out and had a friend who, a, a girl he ran into, and she, she was all sweating afterwards. What'd you do? I just ran 13 miles. He goes, what? Nobody can do that. <laughs> and the day after his diagnosis, he thought of her and says, well... Maybe I'll stay. He was overweight, smoker, overweight by about 50 pounds, was drinking too much. All right, I'll go for a run. Started working out, and then for some reason got this thing about Iron Man. He saw it, and he goes, I'm going to do that. Doctor said, well, okay, go ahead, go for it. Well, they found out the more harder he worked out, his T-cells count started coming down. They had no explanation for it. Then magic came out. He kept working out. His T cell count come down. Jim's in Kona, and I'm interviewing him. His T cell count is like three or four. It's like non-existent. Still has AIDS. And he goes, "I'm here, Mike. I don't know why, but and I've proved everybody wrong. And I'm going to do the Iron Man." And he did. And he's alive and well today. You're kidding me? No, alive and well today. It, it's it, it's a miracle, but yet it may not be in a miracle. And then after gym, people started saying, oh, I'm going to go work out. And then the drugs started coming, you know, that, that, that helps. And, and he's on, but he's, it's just amazing. It's that just, is really. And then there's funny stories. There's stories in there well, of I, stuff that's happened at the finish line. Well, let me ask you this. So, so again, I, I'm, I can't wait to read the book and I've just gotten it, but I'm looking through the chapters and I'm looking at the, the names of the chapters. This one would, of course, interest someone like myself. Getting to the end of the book, the best call I ever made. What is that all about? I'd let it out of the bag if I told you who it was. Okay. But you and all the 350,000 people would not blame me for that being my best call. It's, it's. At least give me a description of what happened. I'm going to read it. We'll come back and do it again. The whole family was there. If that lets in on anything at all. All right. Everybody was there. Ah, okay. My wife, mm-hmm. my daughter, my son, my son-in-law, all the friends to bring this person in. And it was the best call I ever made. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to read it. I cannot wait to read it. And by the way, that's a great tease. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, 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 I do have an audio book, you know. <laughs> I don't want to give it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I did the audio book, I'm reading, obviously, the manuscript. And I'd find something. I go, that didn't sound right. And so my writer was, I go, yeah, let's noodle with that. We'd actually change some of the script reading the audiobook. And other things I would just rip through and add to it. So the audiobook is a little different than the book because it was me telling stories and it's a little different than reading. You know, yeah. I just started ripping through and telling a story. Have you ever thought about adding to your toolbox 
what we're doing right now, podcasting. Yeah, I, I, I have. It's, it's a time issue. It's, you know, sitting down, getting guests and doing that. Or I, I don't, I don't want to feel like if I have a lot of things to say to people and they're usually through other people's stories, but, but I do have a lot of things to say. I talk about, I've lived by this my entire adult life. We're the cause of our own experiences. Sure, somebody can blindside you in a car, whatever. but if we live by that premise that you're the cause of your own experience, watch what happens. Because there's people in our lives that go, why, why is that guy always getting fired? Or why is she not getting finishing what she starts? Or why? I don't understand. Some people, they, they just don't. And others, you go, they just seem to fall in roses all the time because they're responsible for who they are and they, they, they've... They're the cause of their own experience. I've always lived by that. If I lost a sale, I lost a sale. If I got in an argument and with my, I, it was, it's my experience. You know, I can't blame it on anybody else. And that's what this book brings out. I've never seen it more evident in my entire life than someone who comes across an Ironman finish line. And when I look out at the awards ceremony and I'm talking to everybody and knowing they were all the cause of their experience yesterday. It's never more right than in a room like that. Think about that. And sure, they could have had a bike mechanical, a flat tire, but they got to the finish line. They caused their own experience. And, and it's such an easy thing, but yet hard thing to live by because we love putting blame or you know, reading the paper or hearing something and go, yeah, they're right. Well, it's not causing your experience. You are. Yeah. <laughs> not what they told you. You, you are. It's so interesting you're saying that because really when we started talking about this book, I was saying to you, you know, I wrote this book, yeah. but I never have published it, but it's almost been 10 years since my Ironman, but it's as relevant today as ever before because it's just what you just said. You know, when you're in an Ironman race, you don't know what's going to happen. You, well, here's what I knew. I was going to get in the water. And then sometime later in the day, I was going to cross the finish line. I don't know what's going to happen. And along the way, you mentioned, could be you get kicked in the face in the swim. Yeah. Could be you have a complete panic attack in the water because you're not accustomed to 1,800 people swimming around you. Um, it could be that you know your swim didn't go well. And for some reason, you're not, your body doesn't feel right. In my case, I know there was a lot of things that took place that day on the bike, which was expected to be my strength, and it really did not turn Didn't out to be. You know, amazing. Yeah, and then and then on the run, so many things happened on the run, but the whole time, I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, saying, "Doesn't matter. I'm getting to the finish line." But as a pro, going 100 miles an hour, it, it, you knew what you were going to do. Me, I didn't know how it was going to go. And the same is true in life. From the time that you said you're an Ironman, I had decided if I can do that, I can do anything. And things have gone way off the rails compared to the straight path that I thought I was going down. But even now, as things change all the time and you're flexible about things and okay, well that didn't exactly work out the way, but I still got to get going. I mean, look, I got a flat tire on my rear wheel that I, I, I don't even have to take the chain off, man. I'm so <laughs> screwed. You know, <laughs> people are passing me and, and, and the wind is howling and that lady just got blown off her bike and I can't even believe that I'm stuck. Look at the, the waves. It, nothing went the way I expected it to go, 
And that's that's life. That's everyday life. I'll have people who have done 20 Ironman races, Scott, come up to me and go, God, I hope today's a good day. Dude, you've done 20 events. Yeah, but, you know, everyone's a new one. And it's so true because every day of our life is a different day, every month, every year, and every race. And that's why I think people should always have that dizzyingly difficult goal somewhere in their life down the line. And, and, and a lot of people will set a goal from a hospital bed, broken and beat and bruised or battling cancer and go, I'm going to do an Ironman one day. And damn it, if I don't bring him in a finish line six years later and they tell me that story over and over again. Rudy Garcia Tolson, who was the first double amputee, when he didn't finish Kona, it was devastating. We all follow Rudy, Challenge Athletes Foundation, the whole deal. Then says he's going to come to Arizona just a few months later and do it there. He's getting in the water. I'm standing there. I, you know, I always high five and, you know, all right, you're going to have a great day. And Rudy comes up with no goggles. I go, dude, where's your, where's your swim goggles? Oh, I broke them. I'm, that's all right. I'll get in the water, Mike. I'll be fine. Okay. This guy. You got no legs. It's no, and he's tough as hell. You know, he had pink eye afterwards. It beat him up bad, but he wasn't going to let that slow him down. People with no goggles getting over some people, oh, I can't do this. I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> Think about it. Swimming without goggles, forget it. I, I know. And and it didn't phase him. He lost his two legs before, you know, he didn't phase him. He he was gonna get it and he and he finished that was one that was one of my top ten calls of all time. Bringing Rudy in. Rudy Garcia Tolson, for, for those who don't know, but for those who do, you, you probably know the story, but um for those who don't, this is a guy who's been pretty much the face of the Challenge Athletes Foundation since he's a little kid. Little time, and now he's a decorated Paralympic uh, superstar swimmer and multi-time Ironman finisher. But that year, by the way, 2009, um, I was with. I can't believe how lucky I've been to be on the inside of this. You know, to have you here in San Diego, to have a legend like Bob Babbitt, to be there at that race and not just be standing on the sideline. I was in the middle of the race, and I wasn't there to race. I but those were the relationships I had. I'm so lucky to have had those. But Bobby and I were on the course <laughs> on a moped, him driving it, me sitting on the back you were taking out pictures <laughs> of Rudy, trying to encourage Rudy to get, because we were concerned that he wasn't going to make the bike. Right. I mean, he wasn't going to make it, so they weren't going to let him go out on the run. And and we were out on the Queen K Highway with him trying to essentially bring him in. I mean, I, I was there for that, mm-hmm. touching it. It's amazing to hear you talk about that story. Yeah, Yeah. it's a great story. You know, and there's a lot like that. Sarah Reinesner bringing her across. Uh, Maddie Long, New York City firefighter, was crushed by a city bus. He's got his own book. But but Maddie said something to me at the finish line in Lake Placid the, the year before he attempted it. After being crushed, could hardly walk, walked with a limp, has no muscles in the buttocks and lower back. I mean, just says, Mike, I'm going to do this Ironman next year. And I walked away thinking, yeah, 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 I can hardly walk. He's holding on to the fence to hold himself up. When was this, by the way? This was 2000 and... You say he's a New York City fireman. I'm wondering, you know, are we talking like a 9-11? No, they, he worked 9-11. Uh-huh. So this was in uh, mid-2000. Okay, got it. Yeah. And uh, he came back next year and finished it. You mentioned Sarah Reinertson. I mean, again, another Challenge Athletes Foundation yeah. superstar, rock star, and I want to say maybe the first female below the knee amputee yep, to finish. To ever finish. And uh, she's a I mean, she, total rock star. After not finishing it the year before. Yeah. That's why 
you know, if if you if if you play in the Super Bowl and you drop that catch in the end zone, it, it you're done. It's it's you know you fail. Can you are you going to get another chance at it? Mm-hmm. Iron Man gives you another chance. All these people failed. You know, Sarah Reinerson failed the first time. Rudy, Scott Rigsby, who failed in Coeur d'Alene and came back and did it above the knee amputee, the first one to finish it. I've seen so many people fail, and they come back. It gives you another shot because you're the cause of your own experience. And, and you come back and you you do it. It's it just, you know, it's almost, I almost sound myself sometimes like I'm preaching, and it's not, it, it's, I'm just telling the truth as I've seen it because there's nothing false (laughs) at a finish line. There should be nothing false in your life. And and that's how it, it, that's how it is. That's how I live. That's how we all should live. You know, there should be nothing false. (laughs) Why would you have anything false in your life? You coming across that finish line was the truest thing you may have ever experienced up to that point. Who knows? Some of the funny things. I'll have women come up to me afterwards, and the husband's like 20 feet away, and they'll look look over, and, oh, he's not coming. Okay, Mike, it was, I need to tell you something. Yeah, what's that? Yesterday was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> look, oh, okay, <laughs> thank you very much, and go running away. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, man, what, know, a, what, just, a, what an amazing story today <laughs> you've told, though, Mike, about about you know getting that first chance to get on the microphone, yeah. uh, getting connected to the endurance sports world through the shoe industry, moving on and becoming a salesperson and, and having all of this support, a lifestyle that you loved, all the way into these 300 plus thousand people that you have called their names and now finally passing on all of these great stories, not all of them, but I mean it's a small percentage of them frankly, into this book and as a businessman to hear you talk about trying to find a publisher, but then choosing to do it on your own, investing in yourself because there's a greater upside. Uh, all of that is is so fascinating to listen to, and I really appreciate you coming in and sharing all of this and, with and us And one today. thing you'll love to read. Yeah. The first person I ever called an Iron Man, I found him through writing this book. No way. The first person you ever called through an Iron Man? The first person I ever said that to and why I said it to him. Who was it? His name's Dan Trone, and he's a San Diego guy. And I used to run uh, long mileage with him around Mission Bay and didn't realize that until after we reconnected. And it took me three uh, degrees of separation through Scott Tinley, Jimmy Black, an old firefighter here in San Diego, and Jay Larson, an old running buddy I used to run with 20 miles every Sunday. And we found him. And I got him on the phone, and that conversation was Unbelievable. You, this was the very first person that ever came through the finish line that you said you are an Ironman. In 91, because 89 and 90, I never said it. But there's a story of why I said it to him in 91. I never thought about, you know, I like to say that, oh, I sat around one day, wrote things on a whiteboard, and that's what I came up with. No, it was pure serendipity. My only credit was I recognized that when it happened and I said it, what happened? It's because stuff happened to the crowd and stuff happened to him and happened to me when I said it. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) It was like a revelation. of, Well, maybe I'll say it for the next one. The funny part, Dan thought that was just for him. And afterwards, go, Riley, I I thought that was just for me. I started hearing you say it to everybody. What the hell? (laughs) Sorry, dude. (laughs) This is kind of (laughs) good. Yeah, Yeah, it works. You are an Iron Man. Works. (laughs) 
This is something, you know. How can people who are listening get this book? Where, where, what do you recommend? Um, well, at my website, MikeRiley.net, you can find out all about the book. I've got the Amazon and the Barnes & Noble link right there. They're, they're shipping it like crazy right now. The audio book comes up in about uh, four or five days. The end of March, 1st of April, the audio book will be online. So it's available in ebook, audio book, and the, you know, the Nook. Uh, so it's... Uh, I have book signings at a lot of the Ironman races here at Oceanside 70.3, Ironman Texas. You know, I'm going to a lot of tri clubs and doing talks and stuff like that. Uh, but it's easily found on, you know, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's not in bookstores because as a self-publisher, the business side is bookstores require that you take back unsold books. Mm. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have the bank to, yeah, right. you know, they could order 500 and send back 300. And I, go, <laughs> I just broke my bank. Yeah. There goes all my profits. So I wish it could be in bookstores, but if they choose to buy it, they can buy it on their own. You don't need to be in a bookstore. I, I know. I think it'll be fine. There's, there's no, where, where are there bookstores? I don't even know that I mean, there are bookstores. The, the biggest bookstore chain to where books are sold are airports because yeah, people, I, see I that. think I'll get a book. I see that. But uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I, that world is, we checked into it and they- I think you got it the right way. Yeah. So just so everybody knows, Mike Riley is spelled R-E-I-L-L-Y, MikeRiley.net. That's where you can get the book. Hey, congratulations. And I look Thank forward you. to doing this again. And I Anytime. also I also look forward to the next time I hear you say, I, maybe you'll say, you're a half Iron Man. Well, <laughs> because I don't know, man. It's people gonna... ask me, what do you say when you announce a 70.3 and yeah. a half? Oh, I say you're half a man. What the hell else would I say? <laughs> you know, hey, go another loop and I'll call you an Iron Man. <laughs> I really love Mike Riley. I love the conversation. I love the character. I love the perseverance. I love the candor. I mean, look, when you do things in life, you should be able to make money with them. When you've called as many races as Mike has, when you are as important to the sport as he is, when you have so much wisdom to share, there's nothing wrong with making a couple bucks off of it, especially when it's a labor of love and you've had to do all this work by yourself. You know what's interesting is um, after we recorded this interview, it was then Padre's opening day, and that night we were doing a live radio broadcast from a bar in downtown San Diego, and we were right on the streets, and the place was packed, and there were people all around us, and this young, good-looking guy comes busting through the crowd, and he puts his hand out to shake my hand. I can literally picture the whole thing, and I'm telling you, there's a crowd of people, and he goes, hey, I'm Mike Riley's son. I go, hey, man, I just talked to your dad. And, man, he talked so much about you and and what you do and how you should see what we're doing over at Sided. And so it was really, really cool to have just seen Mike and had this visit and and talked about his book and then to have met his son, who he talked to me about uh, a lot that day. So um, really awesome and great vibes. And I wish Mike Riley nothing but the best. And I hope he sells a whole bunch of these books. And I hope that you might be inspired to, uh, to hear or read more of these stories. Like I said, he's, he's, he talked about this. He's doing an audio book as well. That's it. I mean, that is it. I am like sponsor free. I know I should have sponsors all over the place. I, I should send love to Callaway golf. I always do my man, Jason Finley. He takes such good care of us. He's such a phenomenal partner. And so I, I never really do. Um, but, but again, I, I got to send out love to my man, Jay Finns and, and Callaway golf because they are helping us at Sided. I mean, if you read, if you get the Sided newsletter every week, you see it's presented by Callaway. We give away balls. Um, we, we definitely use a lot of, uh, a lot of that relationship. So we <laughs> giving away balls, there's a lot more to it, but anyway, that's it. I'm running out of time. You got things to do. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. Support Mike Riley, finding my voice. And until next time. 
interviewed by Scott on the weekly solo podcast that I never do they drugs. Keep it locked and make sure after you listen, share the latest volume, tune into the next edition.